turn with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1. This will be a part one of two parts. We'll be looking specifically at verses 26 and 27. And um, so there will be complete thoughts not dependent on each other. So those of you I know some work nursery and have other duties where they're not able to be the two-parter, you're not going to, I'm not going to leave you hanging this week and you're going to miss next week just sort of uh, expanding two thoughts contained or dealing with two separate thoughts contained in these two verses. We're going to read from verse 24 on through verse 29, but we'll be looking specifically at verse 26 and 27. So hear now the word of the Lord through his servant, the Apostle Paul. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this glorious mystery, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray and consider its meaning together. Our great God, we are thankful that that which was once hidden, mystery has now been revealed the riches of your glorious grace to the Gentiles and to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us hope in him. Let us glory in him. Let us rest in him. And now, Father, I pray, let your gospel go forth. Transform lives. Equip your saints for the good work of ministry you have called them to do. Increase our joy. Give us, set our hearts aflame for the things of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you noticed, I, I kind of highlighted it verbally. The, the word mystery, verses 26 and 27, Paul talks about this mystery. Now, would some of us, if you're like me, you think mystery, look, Lori and I, we just got into uh, watching uh, an old uh, series from uh, BBC, I think, uh, 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 about Hercule Poirot, and I butchered it because it's French, but he's from Agatha Christie, her, uh, her, uh, her world-famous uh, um, Belgian detective, and he solves mysteries. He does so by looking at clues and finding things that... Uh, other people can't find, they can't pick up on. Uh, Hercule Poirot is very good at, at, at seeing what is, what is not supposed to be seen and understanding what is meant to be hidden. That's not what Paul means by mystery, that only those with certain skills and abilities can see it and then disclose it to you plebeians who need his, his help. And uh, Hercule Poirot is very, very big on, uh, on the dramatic. He loves to have his final uh, displays and disclosures uh, in a dramatic fashion so everyone can be uh, impressed with his uh, abilities. Uh, this is not what Paul's talking about. This mystery that Paul's talking about, when he uses the word mystery, he's talking about that which was once hidden, undisclosed, but now at a later time has been revealed. Something that has been, the, the curtain has been pulled back. So he's not saying that 
there is these clues sprinkled throughout the Old Testament or, the, or through the Bible, and only those with those only those super theological sleuths can go in and study and understand, and the rest of you can clap your hands and be and be impressed, like, oh, I couldn't have seen that without you. No, what Paul's saying is that things were once hidden by God, but now they are being revealed. And Paul says that his suffering. His stewardship, all of that is, is part and parcel of that mystery being revealed. He is privileged to preach and proclaim this mystery, this now what was once hidden, now disclosed truth that was, that was previously unknown. And he does so, he expresses that joy and he expresses that privilege by using language that if you were a sensitive reader of the Old Testament specifically, you would have picked up and said, oh, I know what, what, uh, what Paul's doing here. The other day I was watching one of my favorite TV shows and, um, and a character is speaking to another person and he, and he uses this line. He goes, oh no, you, you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Well, that's a quote from one of my favorite movies of all time, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Now, he's not directly quoting reference. It's just, a, it's just an homage that the, uh, the, the, the directors, the producers, the writers are paying to probably to a, a classic film that they, that they loved and enjoyed that was meaningful to them. People do that all the time. But immediately as he said those lines, it was appropriate for the scene that was played out. But immediately I'm thinking, oh, yeah, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I remember that scene. That's a scene where, where, uh, where uh, Charlie and Grandpa Joe uh, they're the only only children left in Willy Wonka's uh, tour of his factory, and they ask, "Well, where's the lifetime supply of chocolate?" And he says, "You don't you don't get it because you stole fizzy lifting drinks. You lose. Good day, sir." And you know it's a big dramatic scene where uh, where Willy Wonka's pulling out of Charlie his 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 best features and characteristics of kindness, of honesty, and and humility, and all that. But that's you know that quote from that scene made me think of this because this is what Paul's doing. Paul's using language very specifically and particularly that is reminiscent, if you're a careful reader, and we're going to go and look through this, of Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, there also was an undisclosed mystery that an interpretation and a disclosure came from God through one of his servants in a latter, in a latter time. So let's now, in light of thinking about what Paul here is saying, Paul is saying this, I, you know, there's this mystery that was previously hidden from ages and generation. Now, the holy people of God, the saints, those who have trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they know this mystery. And this mystery specifically has to do with Gentiles, the riches of God's mercy to them. So let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Let's take Paul's cue where he's using this language uh, that is found in, in Daniel chapter 2. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2 and let's read it. It's lengthy and we're going to spend some time in there discussing it and then we'll come back and finish it up. And that's why I have a, a, two, a two-parter because I wanted to disclose, I wanted to discuss and unpack this mystery and, and what, Paul, what Paul is doing here. But I also want to unpack the text proper um, uh, and, and especially that phrase, Christ in you, the hope and glory. So we'll look at that next week. But we'll, like I said, this will not be dependent on one another, but we'll look at, um, uh, there will not be a cliffhanger at the end of this is what I mean. So let's look at Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again, it's lengthy, it's picturesque, and we're going to unpack it and then relate it back to show you what Paul is doing in Colossians 1, 26 through 27. Now, it must be said, for integrity's sake, these insights I got from a scholar named G.K. Beale. 
Uh, he is a he's a he's a New Testament scholar, and he is, his his particular area of expertise is the old, is the New Testament's use of the Old Testament, and he he tied these things back to there, and he was extremely convincing, and that's why I'm d- disclosing it to you today. So we read this in chapter two of Daniel, verse one. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, and summoned them to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dreams, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. That is a great way to show if someone really is who they say they are. You're an enchanter? Tell me what my dream is. You don't need me to tell you. It's easy. You know, I'm not going to let you cheat. This is great. This is... Uh, anyway. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, but if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you shall show me its interpretations." Uh, that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing from any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Au contraire. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out. And the wise men were, were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested to the king to, to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdoms to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshashar, 
Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or uh, magicians or astrologers can show you the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries may know to you what it what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king the interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into, hand, and into whose hands he has given whatever, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of, the go of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth, and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that, cru that, that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a, a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as the iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, and great, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is true. All right, that's a mouthful. There's a lot going on there. Basically, there's a mystery. The king is troubled by this king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who has, who has, who has conquered the southern kingdom of Judah and taken its, its noble and, 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 and prominent people into captivity to Babylon to educate them under Babylon and to feed them the food, the rich food of Babylon and show them the greatness of this city, Babylon, which would later become the symbol of godlessness and oppression and opposition to the things of God, especially in the book of Revelation. Here, this king Nebuchadnezzar Babylon, uh, of Babylon, he is known as a great king. God sends him a dream. And you read, we read the interpretation. The dream is of this massive statue representing multiple kingdoms and starting from the top of the strongest kingdom of Babylon and then increasingly become less and less stable. 
but a mountain on a mountain, a rock is cut out by no human hands, a supernatural cutting of a rock, and it is thrown at the mountain or at the, at the image, and it crushes from the feet and just it all crumbles down, turns to dust, floats away, and yet the mountain grows and grows and grows and fills the earth. So something from God bring destruction upon the upon this image these mighty strong kingdoms that god will bring to an end and this 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 rock turns into a mountain that covers the face of the earth notice again and especially in verses 28 and 29 the language of mystery and revelation interpretation that god gives and this is what this is what Paul is leading us to think about is this image, this text, this the, linguistically he is making you, if you're a sensitive reader of the text, I've read something about mysteries and interpretations coming from God and being revealed in latter days. What is that all about? And he is bringing our attention to Daniel's, uh, this, this vision in Daniel. Why is he doing that? Because in Paul's mind, so let's go back to the book of Colossians. In Paul's mind, he is saying there is a mystery that he is privileged to preach, a mystery of something that was once hidden. It is now disclosed, referencing specifically the Gentiles and the riches of his grace towards them, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And how does it tie to this, this image this, or this vision of Daniel in Daniel chapter 2? How do those things tie together? Because what Paul is referencing is this, that stone that grows into this mountain that fills the earth. Basically, it was being disclosed in Daniel, not in full, not in high definition. Now it's being un uh, unpacked in full and high definition after, after the coming of Jesus and his cross work. Now what we see is that this, this anticipation that's all over in the Old Testament, that the Gentiles would be brought in to the people of God. The question is, what will that look like? How, does it, how do the people of God become one, one people with the Gentiles? Well, in the Old Testament, it was very clear. If you were a Gentile person and you were convinced and converted into the faith of Israel, you showcase that by taking on the national identifiers of Israel. Well, what are the national identifiers? Things like circumcision, their diet, Worship at the temple, the reading and the, and, and the devotion to the Torah, the, the renunciation of all other gods. You, you, you entered into Israel by becoming like the Israelites and taking on their practices, their daily rhythms, their religious observances. Their, your identity becomes the identity of Israel. You eschew your former identity to go into Israel. But in the New Testament, that's not required. Why? What is happening? How can the, how, how is it this mountain that grows? So the, again, the Old Testament anticipation has always been the, the Gentiles will be brought in, that God's kingdom, his people will be mingled and in including the Gentiles. Now, that's a hard pill for Israelites to, to swallow. They didn't exactly, uh, the, 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 it was an anticipation of theirs. It wasn't something they were necessarily looking forward to. And it's something that ha they had to, to understand and develop. A, how do we accept this? How do we, how do we, how do we uh, integrate them into our life? And this is what Paul's saying. This is the mystery. The mystery is this. Because of Christ and his finished work, 
all who have faith in Christ, they unite themselves to Jesus. And because of his his faithfulness in his life, his death, his resurrection, those who are who are Gentiles know do not need to take on the Jewish identifiers of of diet, of 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 circumcision, of 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 the of the external things that 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 marked Israel as distinct in all the nations because they are united to true Israel. I'll get to that here in just a little bit. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. We'll see, we'll see uh, uh, how this sort of plays out in the, in the New Testament. There, Acts chapter 10, we're going to read another lengthy section and it won't do too long of a commentary. And I, we read these words, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a Gentile. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And the angel who spoke to him had departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And the, he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came from a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice of him again, uh, and a voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who is also called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, and they said Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went early and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for Jews to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I, was sent, uh, when I was sent for, I came without objection. Then I asked why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house in the, at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. 
So I went for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by, by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come to Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they are hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who, would, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he asked them to remain for some days. So you see here this tension. Peter knows that Peter knows from the Old Testament and from God's te from Jesus' teaching that, that they are to expect the Gentiles to be brought in, but yet he still couldn't get beyond his his former understanding that he is, supposed to, he is supposed to stay away from anything Gentile. And yet God gives him this vision. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And, and this, this sheet held by these four angels is, is all these sorts of unclean animals that the Jewish dietary law re, said that you couldn't eat or they would be unclean ceremonially and could not go into God's presence. He says, I've never touched anything like this. And, Pete, and God says to him, don't call what, is, what I have declared clean to be unclean. This is a shift in, 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 in the understanding of the people of God, of who constitutes now the people of God. It is no longer just ethnic Israel displayed in their, and again, in their things of their diet and their temple worship and their, and their circumcision and all that, all that encompasses their national identity. Now it includes the Gentiles, but the, he didn't say to Cornelius, be circumcised. Submit to Torah. Submit to the Mosaic Covenant. He said, is anything hindering us from baptizing them? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and bringing them into the people of God. He did not say, now Cornelius, take on Jewish identity. He is called a person. He is, he is considered a person of God, belonging to the family of God through the work of Jesus. And this is what Paul says to the, to the Colossian believers. Remember, the Colossians would have been Gentiles. And he is saying to them, there is this mystery. In the days of old, Jews would not have considered you as candidates for the gospel. But now this mystery has been un, uh, unfolded. This mystery has been displayed that because of Christ, the, the rock that destroys these kingdoms and grows and grows and grows into this mountain that will fill the, the whole earth, which will include the Gentiles, they belong to the people of God, not through their subscribing to the things of Israel, but by faith in Jesus Christ, the true Israel. Now, 
What do I mean by true Israel? I'm, I'm, uh, for your sake, I'm going to skip reading lengthy passages, but let's go in our minds back to Matthew's gospel. I, did, I already said this for my Sunday school class, so my Sunday school class, you all can you know, take a nap or dismiss. You've already heard this part. Jesus is presented in Matthew's gospel as the true Israel, as the faithful son of God that Israel was supposed to be. When Moses uh, confronted Pharaoh and said, let my people go, he also said, let my son go. Israel is my son. And Jesus comes as the Son of God, par excellence, um, par excellent. He is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, who, like Moses, is born under a sentence of death. Moses, when he was born, it was declared by Pharaoh that all Jewish boys were to be, were to be killed by being thrown into the Nile. In Jesus' case, he was born under Herod's anger and wrath, and he sent his soldiers to kill and slaughter the innocents of Bethlehem based on the, the, uh, the accounting of the Magi who visited him. So Jesus was born under a sentence of death, just like Moses. Just like, just like Jacob and his family, Jesus fled death uh, by, by finding shelter in Egypt. Jacob and his family left uh, the promised land or the land of Canaan to go down to Egypt in order to flee death by famine. Jesus was safe and secure in Egypt for a time. Then after he left Egypt, he, went, he goes up and he is baptized by John the Baptist. So leaving Egypt, he comes to a body of water where he crosses, in a sense, the body of water in order to be baptized by John. Whereas Israel, when they are rescued out of slavery in Egypt, they cross through the Red Sea, led there by God to, to show God's power and his might over their enemies. He crosses through this body of water after leaving Egypt. After crossing that body of water, Jesus go, is led into the desert 40 days and 40 nights where he fasts and is alone and is tempted by Satan, where it's just like the Israelites after they cross through the Red Sea, they wander the desert 40 years because they are sinning against God and grumbling against him. And he kills it. He allows an entire generation to die in the wilderness. And they wander for 40 years where they are failing. Jesus is triumphing, where God is feeding them manna and water from the rock and quail. Uh, whenever they, when they grumble against him, Jesus is fasting. He is hungry. He is alone and he is being tempted. You know, if you are the son of God, make these, command these stones to become like bread or to become bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father. Jesus is triumphing where Israel failed. And then after his time in the desert, he comes up to a mountain where he preaches a sermon on the mount. Well, before that, he calls himself 12 followers. A new people of God emerges through Jesus' work. And this after he, comes out of the, after he comes out of the desert, he, he goes up to a mountain where he preaches a sermon on the mount, just like Moses leads the people to Mount Sinai, and then he gives them the law that comes from God. Jesus is portrayed as the true Israel, the faithful Israel, the true Son of God who obeys God at every point, and it is by our faith in Jesus that Gentiles who do not have the ethnic identifiers of Israel, like I've said before, the diets, the, the Torah, the, 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 in, the, in this time, synagogue worship or temple worship, the circumcision. We do not have any of those things. We do not just have to distinguish between clean and unclean animals, clean and unclean garments, and any of those things. We are one with the people of God because we have united not to ethnic Israel, but to the true Israel, 
Christ Jesus the Lord who fulfills and completes and accomplishes all that Israel was meant to do but could not because of their sin. Jesus, the true Son of God, the faithful Son of God, gives access and opens up the doorway for all who would come to Him by faith to belong to the people of God. So that mountain that you saw in Daniel or that rock that grows into a mountain that covers into the face of the earth, it is not disclosed exactly how does that look. Does that just mean that the Gentiles all become Israelites? And Paul says, no, the mystery that is now revealed is that for you Gentiles and all God's people, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we'll look at that more next week. But, the, the, but what he is getting at is with your union to Christ by faith, by attaching yourself to Christ by faith, you have all the benefits that Christ has received and accomplished by his obedience, by his faithfulness as the true Israel. You enter into Israel through Jesus the Son and fulfill all that Israel was to be, even though you're not circumcised even though you've eaten 10 million unclean animals <coughs> shellfish and shrimps and whatnots you have, even though you have not worshiped at the temple even though you have not worshiped at the synagogue even though you may not have remembered as as old testament israel did the 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 uh, the, 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 the Torah, even though you have not you know, placed it on, your, on the, the things on your head and on your hands, uh, you, are, you are still part of the people of God. You are now truly the people of God because the true person of God, Jesus Christ, the faithful Son, true Israel, He has come in your place, done what you could not have done because of your sin. And also because of your, Jew, your Gentile ethnicity, you are brought in. And for all the people of God, they are one in Christ. There is no longer Jew and Gentile. There is no longer those artificial distinctions because in Christ they are one, a new creature, a new creation, one in Him. And their identity now is Christ in me, Christ living in me. My identity is no longer so. I am part Korean and part Caucasian. Occasion. That is, that is a, a legitimate identifier of me. And some of the ways and my patterns and my behavior and my attitudes come from that identity. But when, it, when, you, when you strip me bare to what am, what am I at the core of who I am, I am a new creature in Christ because of faith in Him. I receive the forgiveness of sins. I have been made new in Jesus because of grace working through faith in Christ Jesus alone. And that is the mystery now. This is what Paul is privileged to, to preach. This is why he is under stewardship. Make the Word of God fully known. Go out into all the nations and preach them. You do not have to start sacrificing at the temple. You do not have to stop you know, giving... You do not have to you know, stand live under the kosher laws you do not have to you no longer have to rest on saturday as your sabbath you no longer have to circumcise your your the men in your household you are free in christ new in christ and you belong to the people of god in christ and this is the message that we have we can go to every nation and we do not have to say okay you you've got to stop wearing those clothes you've got to stop eating that food you've got to you know we can say to them we can say to them you are in christ you can retain your ethnic and your cultural identities in as much as they are not contrary, explicitly contrary to the things of God. So our missionary activity is free to say, come to Jesus, everyone who would come to Him, find in Him rest, forgiveness of sins. You do not have to, you do not have to you know, stop being who you are culturally, ethnically. You merely must repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. And through Him, 
You're brought into the people of God. This is the mystery now disclosed. The mystery that Daniel saw that was, that was not fully disclosed, partially disclosed to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar knew, my time is coming. My end is near or my end is, is certain. My kingdom will fall and the kingdom after that will fall and the kingdom after that and that one after that. They will fall. Another kingdom will rise up that no one can stop its growth. It will grow and grow and grow and cover the face of the whole earth and destroy all other rival kingdoms. That is the kingdom of God. And it is not doing so with guns and bombs and missiles and swords, <coughs> but with the transforming power of the gospel, the self-sacrificial transforming power of the gospel, whereby God's people go into the darkness, proclaiming the light, bringing the light to bear on, on men and women who would believe on the Lord Jesus, and nothing can stop its advance, nothing can stop its growth, nothing can stop its success. So Christian believer, if you are wringing your hands about what is surrounding you in the, in the world at large, whether uh, it's within our own country or in, in, in other countries, this, this vision that we see in Daniel tells us you have no need to worry for Christ's kingdom will be supreme. Christ's kingdom will advance and grow. Nothing will stop it. As a matter of fact, it will bring an end to all rival kingdoms. Babylon the Great will fall and Christ's kingdom will be fully and eternally established. And all who belong to him by faith, all who have united to him by faith are full members into Christ's kingdom. And this is what this mystery is all about. We, most of us here, I, I dare say, very few of us, though some of you probably have some Jewish ethnicity to you. Surprisingly, I do from my, my, uh, my maternal grandmother's side. Uh, or no, my paternal grandmother's side. She is, um, she was, uh, her father was, uh, was, was, was a Jewish refugee from Germany, moved to, uh, to the United States and changed their name so they would sound less Jewish, obviously because they were fleeing uh, uh, what was taking place in Germany. And so they thought, let's, let's change our name to come here. But I have, I have some Jewish ethnicity in me, but I'm, I'm more Gentile than I am Jew. But I don't, have to, I don't have to subscribe to the things of Judaism that I must, in order to be the person, uh, belong to the people of God, I go directly through Christ and only through Christ. And this is Paul's mystery that has now been revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. My brothers and sisters, you must understand all that God has done for you. Some of you may be looking at this like, Ugh, well, okay, that was, that was cool, Tim. That was neat. I appreciate you did that. But what does it have to do with anything? It has everything to do because there's only one hope for your salvation. One hope for you to belong to the people of God and it's through Christ, not through any works or effort of your own, not through any good behavior, not through any qualities that you possess that may impress God, not through any skills or, or, or good behavior, anything that you can list, only through Christ and in Him alone. And it is free to all who would go, to all who would believe, which gives us then the impetus and the onus. If it is free and if it is such good news and such wonderful truths, why then do we, why then do we hesitate to go and proclaim it and preach it as far and wide as we can? Also, why do we fear? Why do we fear if Christ, if Christ was revealed or if God revealed to, through Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar, no kingdom will stand against the rock that was cut by no human hands that smashed all these other rival kingdoms and then no kingdom will stand against it as it grows and it advances. Why do we fear? Why do we fear anything uh, that may hint that and hinder ourselves from going faithfully, regularly, determinedly to proclaim the gospel, whether in our 
our immediate local context of Pinellas Park and our jobs and our families, our friendships, our neighborhoods, our city, our county, our state, our country, or cross borders into places that, that are culturally so wildly different from us, uh, religiously so wildly different from us, uh, 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 linguistically so wildly different from us. Why do we hesitate if we see in Daniel's vision that there is nothing that will hinder the growth, that will hinder the spread of this rock that turns into this mountain that will cover the face of the earth. If God has provided an open doorway for all to come to him through Jesus Christ, then why do we hesitate to faithfully proclaim the gospel as far and wide as we can? So let this mystery rest on us. Let this word from Paul and this, and this burden that he carries, this stewardship to make the word of God fully known, let us understand that this wasn't just a neat bit of trivia. Oh, cool. Colossians 1, 26-27 is pointing back to Daniel. That's really neat, although it is super neat. Don't get me wrong. It is great neat. I was really excited about this. But it, it is an impetus to us to action, to faithfulness, to trust, to obedience. Christ and Christ alone is the hope of glory. And anyone who is seeking to find life, meaning, satisfaction, joy, any of the things that they need, freedom from guilt, release from the, the, the penalty from sin, whatever it is that, that, that is driving them, if it's anything other than Christ that they are seeking answers to, they will not find it. It will be a futile attempt and it will be a prison that they cannot escape from. But we, if we love our neighbors and friends and our family, we have the key we have the mystery now unfolded, unveiled. We can tell them freely, it is Christ, dear friend. It is Christ, dear relative. It is Christ, O oh weary one. It is Christ and Christ alone. Find in Him all that you are looking for. Forgiveness of sin, freedom from guilt, joy, everlasting life, uh, adoption into God's family so you no longer feel alone and abandoned and unloved. All of that is given to you through Christ and it comes freely. You don't have to adopt certain behaviors, um, that are, certain external behaviors and rhythms that are, that are, that are foreign to you. You, can, you. You're transformed inwardly through the, through the gospel and out of that inward transformation, you will live, I will flow a fountain of obedience and life and love and joy and worship and faithfulness unto God. So this is our call, brothers and sisters. This is our, this is our um, call to action. Would we be a place, a people, who faithfully sit under that stewardship to make, to proclaim this mystery now revealed, now disclosed, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ as, a, as the only means of salvation, Christ as a key to the inclusion of non-Jews into the people of God. This is our call. This is why we exist. To, fall, to, to obey this and to live in this truth. To those of you who are outside of Christ and you heard these words, this mystery that Paul has revealed, that is, that is disclosed, the mystery that Paul is unpacking, that he is hinting at from Daniel chapter 2, this mystery is that Christ is building and establishing a kingdom. It's going to grow and fill the whole earth. And all who come to it will find refuge and shelter and peace there. But there's only one way to enter that kingdom. It's not through your good works. It's not through your cleverness. It's not through anything that you can bring to the table. 
It is by faith in the saving work of Jesus, faith in the obedient Son of God who came in your place to take away your sin, to live the life you could not live because of your sin in order to accomplish for you and to credit to you all the obedience and faithfulness that is required of God, that was required of God's people that they could not live up to, Jesus Christ has for you. And you unite yourself to Him. You receive that by faith, by placing your trust in Him, turning from your sins and falling on Christ, believing the promise, sheltering under Him. Lord, I confess my sins to You. I confess that I have disobeyed and rebelled against You. But in Christ Jesus... I can be made one of the people of God through His finished work. And to Him and to Him alone, I come. Oh, lost lamb, come to Jesus. Know that He is seeking you to find you, to save you. Come to Him, cry out to Him, find shelter in Him, repent and believe and be saved this very moment.